The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. What is happening? The baby's coming. She's been in labor for the past two hours. Can you help us? I don't know anything about this. Okay, uh, um... Tanya, look at me, okay? Look at me, right? On three, we're gonna push. One, two, three, push! Yes! That's great, that's great, you're doing great. Bordis, give me claws, towels, anything. I Commander. And a shoelace or something to tie off the umbilical cord. I need you to give me one big, last hard push, okay? That's all we need, all right? We can do this. One, two, three, push! Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June the 6th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be It's a life-and-death issue, one that many believed was long since settled and put behind us. I am, of course, speaking about abortion and the laws that regulate and control its legal availability. And it all gets underway right after I remind you that you can, and you should. Write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, and follow us on SoundCloud, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archive broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support and in so doing, become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism. Now, my interest in focusing on the abortion issue actually arose from a feedback response to our show broadcast two weeks ago on May 22nd when we took a look at what we called Socialized Healthcare's Sacred Immorality. On that show, we pointed out how in the United States, Medicare costs, along with the cost of healthcare services generally, continued to rise to unsustainable levels. And as patient satisfaction levels decline, many Americans have been led to call for a Canadian-style universal health care system. In the perpetual controversy over socialized health care, confusion reigned supreme, particularly due to the varying testimonials of patients within a given system. Some are quite happy with the medical services they receive, while most appear less so. Suggested solutions and fixes to socialized health care's long waiting lists and increasingly unsustainable costs have not changed since the birth of socialized health care itself. In Canada in particular, socialized health care is a sacred cow and will be politically supported no matter how many people it might harm instead of help. Now to that argument, we got the following feedback from Linda H. on our Facebook page where she wrote, and I quote, Your written piece is totally devoid of data. I'm a Canadian senior who, over the last decade, has had both my shoulders replaced and just had a hip replacement. I have paid for this over the years through my taxes. I left the hospital on all three occasions debt-free. I waited three months for my hip replacement as it was not an emergent situation. I consider that to be a reasonable wait. 
to live in a country where a child who lives on one street gets treated for leukemia while a child on another street dies from the same disease while society shrugs their shoulders and believes it is each man for himself is unthinkable in my world. Yes, it is a moral issue, and the richest country in the world keeps shrugging its collective shoulders. Now, I responded to Linda, and you can see that response on Facebook, where I wrote, quote, You're quite correct to observe that our written piece is devoid of data, and with good reason. One cannot make a moral case with data. One makes a moral argument by stating the principle on which that morality is based and demonstrating why it is moral. Beyond that, each and every one of your posted observations and comments have been acknowledged and directly spoken to during the broadcast. For the record, there has been nothing said and no case made that should possibly lead a listener to this show to conclude that it's acceptable to leave a child dying from leukemia. This would be unthinkable to us as well. And if by citing the richest country in the world you mean the United States, then you stand to be corrected in concluding that the U.S. has been shrugging its collective shoulders. This is simply not so, nor is it accurate to say that you paid for your health care treatment over the years through my taxes, quote-unquote. Many other Canadians also paid for their health care through their taxes and yet are unable to access those services. Most significantly, your written comments themselves are devoid of something very important any visible concern for others. While we're pleased to learn that you personally are among those satisfied with your own socialized healthcare experience, what about the many more people in Canada who are not so fortunate? You've not spoken to this issue, which is the entire point of the discussion. It is to their plight that our focus was addressed in the very country that already has universal socialized healthcare system in place. Passing moral judgments against the United States over how that country deals with its health care issues is little more than a form of virtue signaling, while avoiding the Canadian dilemma or the proper moral principles involved. And that was a post I left in response to Linda on Facebook. Well, sure enough, within a couple of hours, she posted again, quote, The American stats for morbidity and mortality are not good. You have the richest nation in the world. Where is the morality or ethics in that? Here's a recent article on your maternal mortality rates. It is even more stunning considering the anti-abortion debates that have been begun by the right. Yes, I can come to an ethical decision about that. In fact, this demands an ethical decision. Well, Linda didn't include a link or an article or a reference to the article that she cited. But she continued, quote, Devoid of visible concern for others? Please. I'm a retired registered nurse who worked in healthcare for 49 years. I was stating my personal experience with the system. If you want my professional opinion and observations, I could expand. No system developed by humans is perfect, but some are better than others. And then she had an extra post to that post. As for taking the argument to the personal, end quote. Well, I didn't respond to her on Facebook because I didn't think she was really open to a debate or to responding in kind to the arguments that I was raising. But Linda never seems to complete a thought or conclude an argument. Everything is associative, and she's not paying attention to what's being said on the other side. She admits that some systems are better than others, but seems to be offended by our suggesting that socialized health care is not one of the better ones. She demands an ethical decision which we clearly stated, but didn't offer one herself. 
And you certainly don't have to wait for us to ask. If you have any professional opinions to offer on the subject, just state them. Now, at no time whatever did we take this argument to the personal. Linda did that herself. We fully acknowledged her personal experience with the system and at no time said anything negative about it. However, she still has not addressed what should be done for those people who cannot access the healthcare system in time to deal with their illnesses or injuries. That's not a personal attack, it's a straightforward observation. Now, when you cite American stats for mortality, and without specifics yet with a conclusion that they're not good, which is totally incorrect, as we'll hear in a moment, and then juxtapose that statistic with the fact that America is the richest nation in the world, you are the one who should be explaining, quote, where the morality or ethics, end quote, in that non-sequitur exists. But the most bizarre and seemingly irrelevant argument brought into the discussion was the mention of abortion and stunning anti-abortion debates begun by the right. Well, what am I supposed to do with that non-information? So let's begin by setting the record straight on some of Linda's assertions about socialized health care. And to do that, on this side of our upcoming bumper, we'll listen in to Stephen Crowder, who addressed that very issue on his May 20th Louder with Crowder show. And on the return side of our bumper, we'll be hearing from Matt Christensen on his growing doubts about abortion itself. He's not alone in his reconsideration of the issue, as more and more people are reassessing how best to deal with an issue that has never really been addressed by abortion on demand. Let me ask you, what's your position on Medicare for all, or at least how would you like to see our healthcare system changed, fixed? I think we all agree that it's, that it's flawed. We've talked about Canadian healthcare systems in a lot of other countries, but specifically Medicare for all. They're going to point to a couple of main uh, ideas. That it's cheaper, first off, in the long term than our current private insurance plan. It would be right. 30 something trillion versus 50 something trillion dollars. And then they say that it will uh, create better outcomes. So that it's cheaper, better outcomes. They base the better outcomes generally on life expectancy, infant mortality, subjective polling data. That's why they always yeah. talk about how popular mm -hmm. their plan is. None of those claims okay, are objectively accurate. So let's go to the first claim that it would save us money while increasing quality. They're it's talking so primarily about costs there. Yes. Uh, a lot of things would save us money. Like reusing needles. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily better quality of care. Wouldn't that be idea. great. That idea. So, and this is really important because your worldview will determine how you look at solving the problem of healthcare in yeah. the United States. It does need to be fixed. It, it is a problem system. But if your worldview is primarily predicated on the idea of cheap, and that's what you see them talking about, getting it as cheap as other countries, okay, fine. But that's different from quality. Right. If you have a worldview that requires you to examine a system and say, how can we get the best quality healthcare, uh, which benefits not only Americans, but the rest of the world. So, yeah. when they say that the United States has terrible uh, health care, people who are Medicare for all opponents, yeah. uh, proponents, sorry, they uh, usually point to two studies. First is a World Health Organization report uh, that it, it ranked the United States 37th in health care. Okay, but here, here's something that people need to understand about that, that, uh, that, that ranking system. They put us far behind social, uh, socialized systems, not just like Canada and the UK, we're behind Saudi Arabia and Colombia. <laughs> and just so you know, we're right neck and neck Sounds with accurate. Slovenia and Cuba. So you have to ask Cuba. yourself, hold on a second. There's a wider gap between how good Canada's system is to the United States than the United States. What? And the next two on the list are, are Slovenia and Cuba. That's because <laughs> these disproportionately weigh people's subjective polling standards. Mm, yeah. Do you like your health care plan, which has no bearing on the reality of the quality of their health care? 
Yeah. The second study they point to is a Commonwealth study that right, it's a little bit more recent. Uh, they studied 11 of the top nations as far as yeah. healthcare, uh, and out of 11, they ranked the United States number 11. Jerks. Uh, number one was the UK. Gosh. Okay, this is important for people yeah. like to understand. Yeah. Uh, and if you're, yeah. not, if you're not confused yet, the UK was 18th in the WHO study. Right, and they're number one in this one. What? Well, the, the stats again. The Who stats in World Health Care—they don't really have much to do with healthcare. So right. let's go through this when we're talking about objective data. Life expectancy. Also, again, they point to life expectancy, infant mortality rate. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, we've gone through the polling data. We know that polling Cubans are as happy with their healthcare and Slovenians <laughs> as the United States. I yeah. don't think that's okay. the metric that we should use. So they go to life expectancy. Right. Life expectancy isn't directly tied to quality of healthcare, but also self-care. Okay. Right. We have a yeah. much higher obesity rates here in the United States, uh, and a much a much more diverse demographic than yeah. say people who are about all the same height size in a place like Norway with the population yeah. of Rhode Island, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the, uh, oh, something else, World Health Organization, they put a lot of weight on disability-adjusted life years. What does yeah. that mean? It means it completely ignores countries that keep disabled people alive longer, like the right. United States. Infant mm. mortality, that's usually, that's actually measured yeah. differently across different countries, like we've talked about with violent crime rates. We yeah. actually count infant deaths in the United States, which would not be registered in other countries because of our higher standards of health care. So, in other words, countries that don't count premature baby deaths, we actually do when you compare the two. Huh. That's the yeah. objective data they use. There's a reason they go to life expectancy and to infant mortality and then go to these two studies primarily. Watch it when you watch ProMedicare for All uh, videos yeah. out there in segments and tell me that's not what they do. If we do some standardized comparisons, objective numbers, this is one thing that's funny from the left. They go, if you look at facts, okay, well, let's look at facts. Um, <laughs> let's do it. Compare Happy numbers, <laughs> United States, UK, Canada, since UK was rated number one, do they actually offer better quality care? It's not even close, okay? We have over nine times the MRI machines of Canada, for example. Nine. We like to collect okay? them. That's the empirical. I can give you the anecdotal. My mom was going to have to wait one year and a half for yeah. an MRI because she ruptured a disc. But that's what they call in Canada elective, along with oh, serious oh. dermatology, neurology. That's another thing yeah. we'll get to in a second. I waited 15 minutes, by the way, for yes, the MRI. Yes, I know. I, I literally know. walked in, because got it, Because of and evil left. private yeah. insurance companies. By the way, you're likely to <laughs> dying from uh, prostate cancer, breast cancer, myriad terminal illnesses doubled. That rate is doubled wow. if you live in the UK, New Jeez. Zealand, Germany, and Canada compared to the United States. And this is something too, and they say, why, if, you, if you don't support socialized healthcare, why don't you care about the 40 something thousand people who die without access to care? Yeah. Well, why don't you care about the 100% increase in women who will die of breast cancer? Well, I can play that game too. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, assume yeah. that you care, assume that I care. We don't want people dying. We don't want people sick. We just have different solutions to these problems. Yeah. If you look at death rates specifically among hospital patients, let's go the old number one ranked UK, four times as likely to die in a, a number oh. one ranked UK hospital in the United <laughs> States. Yikes. If you have a terminal illness Yikes. in a UK hospital, it goes up to like six or seven times that compared Jeez. to the United States. Stay home. Something else, yes, we spend a lot more on healthcare, but we are the number one worldwide country in the creation of new drugs yep. and publication of uh, medical research papers. This also brings us to something else where they constantly say, I don't understand why the United States, the richest country in the world, is the only country that doesn't have some kind of a universal or socialized healthcare system. Well, hold on a second. You can't bemoan the fact that we're the wealthiest country in the world and we're the only country that doesn't have this kind of, yeah. that's how we got that way. It's like saying, <laughs> we're the only country right. in the world that according to Berkeley, 70% of drugs and published medical research papers come from this country and we can't get a socialized system like everybody else is the remaining 30%, that's all countries. Well, yeah, genius. why do you think that's the case? <laughs> How do you think we got so wealthy? How do you think yeah. we got to this kind of innovation? All right, another claim that they make, the United States has uh, more uninsured people than any other countries. Well, 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure, but the uninsured number is misleading. It's very misleading. It includes illegal immigrants, by the way, who pay yeah. nothing. You know why they pay nothing? Because they can go into an ER. There's no way to track them. That's what they use for their care. It's not necessarily preventative like care. Ghost. Yeah. But if you have a two by four nailed to the back of your skull from working a construction site, uh, you know what? You'll take that for free all day long and twice yeah. on Sunday. Uh, and by the way, there are a lot of people who choose not to purchase insurance. In fact, actually, studies have shown that uh, sometimes there's an increase in total number of uninsured people as a result yeah. of people with above average income just opting to go uninsured. That's why they had to instate a penalty while the actual number of uninsured poor people goes up. So that's important to note. By the way, everyone here at Louder Crowder, uninsured. We use a, we use a health sharing service, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. numbers in the seven figures, which would not be qualified as insurance. It's a health sharing program, which actually covers you much better than most insurance. So these statistics aren't everything that uh, people believe them to be. The left, they'll say, again, these people, this is very important. They'll say it's less expensive and higher quality of care. Say, okay, tell me how it's higher quality of care in, let's say, the United, uh, United Kingdom or in Canada. Don't use infant mortality or life expectancy. Go. <laughs> go. There's nothing yeah, else. Exactly. There's yeah. nothing You're else. You're screwed. <laughs> there absolutely is nothing else. For about two years now, I've really struggled to define my stance on the abortion issue after being firmly pro-choice in my younger lefty years. And it's not me fence-sitting. It's not me avoiding picking a firm side because I'm afraid to defend something difficult. It's me struggling to reconcile what I view, or at least viewed, as two compelling interests. I've always seen this issue as a clash between the liberty interest on the part of the mother versus the moral interest in preserving life, and generally speaking, every pro-choice person I knew, myself included, granted the existence of the life in the womb and the moral implications of ending that life and that the choice to do so ought to be mourned, never celebrated. I used to hate the term pro-abortion. I thought it was a straw man. I thought it was a misnomer. I thought nobody was actually pro-abortion, that they, like me, viewed it as a choice that was always tragic, but still a choice that ought to be protected. Nope, pro-abortion is in fact a thing, and I'm less convinced than ever that it's even a fringe minority thing. I think it's soon to be common left-wing opinion if it isn't already. When you deny any moral considerations in this issue, all I'm left with is the side that's at least honest about the innocent life at stake. A life that, if it isn't outright protected, ought to be due the basic decency of sincere consideration of its interests. It's clear I have some more thinking to do on this issue. I'm sorry to disappoint those of you who would probably like to see me take a firmer stance. Well, it's not always easy to take a firmer stance on an issue that's so complex and in which all of the considerations change depending on what stage a pregnancy may be in and in some degree to the circumstances facing those who would become responsible for bringing a new life into the world. In a lot of ways, Matt expressed some of my own sentiments on this issue, but I think I might be able to offer him some insights that might help resolve his dilemma. Now let me say from the outset that I'm not here to try and convince or convert anybody to my point of view on abortion. I'll state it, but I'm not here to convince anyone of anything. Personally, I'm morally opposed to the practice of abortion as a means of birth control, convenience, or as a quick solution to life's difficulties. However, having said that, I know that most people regard my view on abortion as pro-abortion. 
primarily due to my association with the Freedom Party of Ontario, because Freedom Party does not support an outright prohibition of abortion and has no plans to change any abortion laws. Not that we actually could, since that's not within the jurisdiction of a provincial party in Canada. It's a federal issue. But we've never avoided speaking out on the greater debate just because of technicalities of that sort. And the contrast between my own personal attitudes about abortion and that of the party that I'm associated with is something I'll be elaborating on a bit later in the show today. But first, let's set the stage of this debate, and I couldn't think of a better way to to do that than by sharing with you a conversation on this topic that Robert Vaughn and I had with none other than Ann Coulter way back on March 11, 2010, and you can hear that entire one-hour interview with Anne, which covered a number of differing subjects, archived on Just Right site. It's show number 142. Let's listen in, shall we? Now, if it were up to you, would abortion be illegal? Yes. What would be, what would be your ideal penalty, say, for a woman who had an abortion or a doctor who performed one? Would Death. Death. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, t- I warned you about our humor. Bob. I, I'm so glad you added. I'm just kidding because, to be honest with you, your answer is perfectly consistent with that belief. No, uh, it is. not not really. The no, point well, it, it, is, look, I, I think bank robbery should be illegal, but it, but I don't know exactly. You know what the penalties are? How you, um, you know what the, what the levels of mitigation and aggravation in the crime are? I mean, these are state criminal law issues. Um, but it has been taken out of the hands of the states, and I mean that is one of the, the beauty parts of, of the United States that gets taken away when liberals start inventing rights from the Supreme Court. And I, I, I am well, in favor of at least for a few years an activist, a right wing activist Supreme Court, which we have never seen. We'd be discovering in the penumbras and the emanations a right to a flat tax, you see, um, uh, a I'm right a- to bear nuclear arms, a right to free champagne for blondes, <laughs> um, just crazy <laughs> stuff, so they could see what right wing judicial activism would look like. Um, but, but the idea of the Constitution, which is the most freedom promoting document ever, ever created, is that you have these 50 little experiments. And different states, and moreover, towns within the states would also have their own regulations. Can pornography be sold at the corner store or can't it? Will abortion be allowed or won't it? I promise you New York and California will make abortion up until age 13 legal for the rest of our lives. But, but you know, you can, you can see how different states work things out, and then the systems that work, and, you know, you can count up at the end of the year who has the most venereal diseases, who has the most out-of-wedlock births. The, 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 the set of laws that work can then be adopted by other states. When the Supreme Court or Congress unless it is a matter that has to be national, for example, national defense, when Congress or or the Supreme Court step in and say, this is going to be the one-size-fits-all rule for the entire nation, there is no experimentation, there is no evolution, there is no learning or trying different things. And, and, And that is a matter of democracy, that we can't vote on what the laws are going to be on abortion. It's just out of our hands. Uh, again, you know, the, the abortion issue, you're saying, though, that a woman should go to jail if she had an abortion. And if you are saying that, are you not then saying that that woman has no individual rights? Or are you suggesting that... Well, the- you'd say the same thing about any murder. I think somebody who, who murders a person should go to jail. In some cases, 
get the death penalty. I doubt the death penalty would be a relevant issue in the case of abortion. You'd probably mostly be going after the abortions the same way. It was just in New York last week, a fantastic case. Um, this woman in Long Island getting a divorce. She talks to a hitman. She's upset that she's not to kill to, to maim her husband. She didn't think she could afford a killing, <laughs> and um, she only had twenty thousand. So okay, break his legs, and then she found out. Oh, I can get him killed for twenty thousand. So she gives the guy the twenty thousand dollars, and of course, as an undercover cop. Um, if that had been an actual contract killer, in general, the contract killer gets gets a much higher penalty than than the person who hires the contract killer. Um, but I'm just guessing from other state criminal laws. But but surely there's a difference between a person killing another individual and a woman dealing with her own body and and the fetus, the child, whatever you want to call it, the other human being inside her body. I would call it body. another individual. I, okay, <laughs> if you want to call it that. But even though it may be that, and I may accept that. that sure, in, but there are a lot of distinctions. That individual, though does not have rights that pre- precede the mothers it can't possibly have well that's only an argument for a law that says you say precede the mothers um, that's only an argument for a law that allows abortion in the case of the life of the mother and i am pretty sure there was never an abortion law um, an abortion prohibition that prohibited it in the case of the life of the mother <laughs> nobody wants that but when they start throwing in health they're talking about you know the girl showing up and she can't she can't fit into her prom dress oh okay well <laughs> Well, we'll have an abortion because she's going to get depressed. Well, you know, I, 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 but there I, are degrees of murder. If I could just get back to your main point, there are all kinds of degrees of murder. There's manslaughter. Um, there's first degree, second degree, three, third degree. Even within the, the the basic category, there are aggravating circumstances. There are mitigating circumstances. So you know, to, it's it's the fact that there will be different. It'll be treated like a murder. <laughs> like <all> <laughs> Understood. I think I think she's made her point that it is a, a case for the courts to and, and individual judges to look at the case uh, state by state, case well, state uh, by state, or yeah, but that's, by but that's a legal argument. I'm trying to make a moral. I argument I know what here. your argument is, and I actually agree with Bob's argument on this: is that uh, a right is a right, and and the and the woman's yeah, mother's see, right. And I would even like You're to. You're only sim- talking about one person's right. What about the little fetus sleeping peacefully in his mother's womb? What did well, he do to anybody? He didn't he do has anything. A right to life. Uh, uh, he, he, well. Regrettably, you know, I would argue that, that even when there, when a child is born, he doesn't have rights in the sense that we think of rights as adults. He can't sign sign contracts. He can't make deals. He, he cannot even defend himself. Children I have status. I do not status. want to see signing any contracts. I would not that. <laughs> the paper is written on. <laughs> I don't think we're going to solve this abortion debate right now. No, nor, nor many other debates. Well, you have convinced me you're atheist. <laughs> Actually, you know, I started off my my political career with right to life, believe it or not, and I'm very sympathetic to the issue. But I draw the line at uh, at laws putting people in jail for abortion. I, I would I would totally support um, governments not promoting it. Absolutely, or governments paying for it, paying for all that stuff. No problem there because that's where a large issue comes. I think there's certainly an issue with abortion in terms of a lack of informed consent on the, on the parts of, of, of women who get abortions often. You know, they just get right, shoved, shoved into... Right. I agree with all that stuff. But well, I, of, I could never bring myself to the point of putting a woman in jail or punishing her um, for something that is totally 
a biological function within herself, as long as you're dealing with this birth and pre-birth situation. Once that child is separate from the mother, it doesn't have rights, it has a status, society can protect it at that point, but not before, before birth. I mean, you're not well, an right indi- before it draws its first breath. Well, you know, you're not an individual until, you, until you're an individual. <laughs> I mean, well, and that's, and that's, isn't that the name of the group you represent? People said you're not an individual if you, your descendants come from Africa. I don't know how you get off making that determination of who's an individual, except that you've safely made it through the womb. Um, <laughs> so you're in. Well, no, that's, I think it's a pretty, but I don't think pretty clear dividing line. You, you cut that umbilical cord and you're an individual. Uh, that seems to be a, a physical Crazy. reality. <laughs> <laughs> Complete madness. Okay. Uh, but anyways, that's when I think individual rights begin to accrue. They can't accrue any earlier than that because you don't even have an individual. has a pro-choice girlfriend. <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're reading me completely wrong, and that's where I think a lot of the, uh, the, the whole right wing has more of a debate within it, within the right side. Yeah, more, more, there more, really isn't that much of a debate on yeah. abortion. i got to tell you, there's a lot more debation, uh, deba- uh, debate on uh, issues like, uh, you know, the capital gains tax. It's curious that, you know, we're always being, we conservative Republicans like myself, mm-hmm. are being harangued to drop, as they're generally defa- called, uh, uh, the social issues. Gay marriage, abortion, teaching kindergartners fisting, that sort of thing. Those <laughs> are the issues we win on in 80% majorities. If we're going to start dropping stuff, drop the tax cuts, because we're not as popular on that. Though I am for both. Good. I'm going to give my whole talk on abortion now, just because of you. Okay, well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, that was a slice of our conversation with Ann Coulter in 2010, and a lot has happened since then, to be sure. But I think that the conversation we had with Ann and some of her own arguments made and ideas expressed, which have been expressed by more people than just her, might be part of the reason that some recent changes to some abortion laws in the United States have created a lot of misunderstandings, both on the issue of abortion and on many of the assumed values and belief systems that go along with how people arrive at their opinions about abortion. Now, Anne correctly identified me as being atheist, as if that were the determinant of my own opinions on abortion, which it is not. We'll reprise our encounter with Anne on that particular issue of religion and deity a little later in the show as well. But for the time being... On this side of our upcoming bumper, once again, debunking various myths and misunderstandings, this time about the abortion issue, is a highly edited and shortened bite taken from Stephen Crowder and the gang from their May 17th Louder with Crowder YouTube presentation. And on the return side of our bumper, we'll be hearing from a fellow named Dave Morrison, whose YouTube show is called Blue Collar Logic, on the history of the birth control pill and the introduction of abortion as a secondary means of birth control. Because we'll be talking about the abortion laws. There's been so, so much misinformation out there. I want to let you know as to why it's incorrect. Here are a couple of claims that I've seen most. These laws constitute jailing women for murder. If a Georgia resident plans to travel elsewhere to obtain an abortion, when she comes back, she could face 10 years imprisonment. Don't you? Meaning abortion. Don't you love how one said 10 and one said 30? Yeah. yeah. In prison. Whom are you going to imprison? Every woman who's had a fertilized egg passed through her? It's the person who's performing the abortion, which brings us actually to their subsequent claim that the Georgia bill they claim has loose language that could maybe lead to the prosecution of women who take an abortion pill or who travel to other states or who even miscarry. This is one we've been hearing a lot miscarriage under these laws. How stupid is that? 
If you go back to, let's say, a real, before Roe v. Wade, um, <laughs> there've only been How two recorded incidents of women being charged with any kind of crime associated with their abortion, yeah. okay? Uh, one was in 1911 and one was in 1922. Throughout the, unless I'm wrong about this, throughout the entire history of Anglo-American Western law, only one woman was ever charged with the crime of self-abortion. That specific crime, 1599. You have to go back oh, to wow. the 1500s. No oh. woman ever <laughs> in the history of modern Western law, uh, as far as I know, let me know if I'm wrong, has been charged with a crime for miscarrying. You, you got to kind of reach far back to find something like that. 1599, that's crazy. The a argument that would be made, too, is like, oh, my gosh, they're going to have back alley abortions, and she, people are going to do yeah. self-abortions now right. so that they can get around it. Look, I would rather deal, I know this is going to sound harsh, I would rather deal with back alley issues, I would rather deal with people wanting to do their own abortions and find ways to figure that out than deal with a killing spree that we have right now. But you should also be in favor of the other one, other other ways to prevent abortions from happening or being necessary, yeah. Yeah. such yeah. as abstinence or through uh, uh, or through other means, yeah. yeah, contraceptives, that type of thing. And so, yep. you know, I get it. There's there's definitely going to be some on the on the right who have said that they're against contraceptives because it encourages sex, and that's one view. It's not a mainstream view. It's not no, a mainstream view. Yeah. But that's the point is that you know, but but it's not okay to to be in favor of abstinence or to say that abstinence is a legitimate way to not have to have an abortion. Yeah. It's the only legitimate <laughs> it's a way. It's the only guarantee. It's the only guarantee. They're like, way. abstinence right. only doesn't work. Abstinence only works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's another thing, too, that people have been saying, that it's just right-wing extremism and that it's completely unprecedented. That's actually from uh, Salon. That's, oh, they actually reliable. about how they yeah. will try to put you in jail for misc... This actually, this is something I think people don't understand. We have pretty liberal laws yeah. regarding abortion. The majority of European countries actually have abortion bans after 12 weeks, and a lot of them require a waiting period after oh. consulting with a doctor. Yeah, well, I mean... God forbid you have to wait five days before you potentially end a human life. And so there was some really cool, just stay with me for a second. Gallup did some really interesting studies on this. Everybody thinks that the abortion is pro-choice is by far the thing that people want. No, it's, right. it's really about 48-48 right now. If and even you, then that's using the most broad terminology. In the broad terminology, right. So if you drill down, people actually say that they would rather have it legal under some circumstances. And the people that are in favor, 50%, roughly 50% some circumstances. Right. Around 29% say under any. So that's even a smaller group. The people that say under certain circumstances, 38% of that group plus throughout history, back into the early 90s, said in very limited situations. Mm. So I'm glad that at least right now we're having this conversation openly and honestly. Um, another claim that you've, this is a big fear-mongering claim from the left, and it's not entirely, by the way, uh, unfounded, that this is going to 100% lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, so here's the thing, all states place restrictions, or most states place restrictions, regulations on abortions outside of the federal purview. Texas, they wanted to ban abortion after 20 weeks. Yeah. Colorado, 34 okay. weeks. Virginia, 25 weeks. And uh, these laws often make it, uh, Bill, you probably know about this, mm -hmm. half Asian bill, uh, they make it to higher courts. Yeah, so there's truth to that. Yeah, they do. I mean, the, the the case itself allows to have different restrictions based on the trimesters. That was the kind of fundamental, right. you know, practical application of it. And so we have always, since Roe versus Wade, had limitations. Yeah. Um, and, and in these other states, essentially to say, oh, that Roe versus Wade may be challenged. Well, Roe versus Wade was a is a very complex opinion that sets different types of restrictions at different trimesters, and it also has a certain basis in the Fourteenth Amendment, the right to privacy. And so you can you can maybe parse well, can you, some well, of. Can those. you explain that because that's something a lot sure. of people don't yeah. know. They think that uh, Roe v. Wade says there's a constitutional right to abortion. And they think they're in the Constitution, there's some interpreted right to abortion. So what the, what the 14th Amendment, which was the basis of the opinion, is 
the, saying that, yes, here you have the Constitution through the Bill of Rights, which says, or rather through an amendment, it wasn't in the Bill of Rights, but to say you can have a right of privacy, which that word isn't actually there, but it's interpreted as right. one of the rights that are broadly enumerated in the 14th Amendment. And then from that derivative right, right to privacy, you then have a de further derivative, subderivative right that says that your body and being able what you were going to do with your body. So, right. and, and I think intellectually, like at a very high level, a lot of people wouldn't understand. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, libertarian fans of the show who would say your right to privacy allows you to put in your body whatever you want or sure. to be able right, to do with yeah. your body whatever you want. So it's not like that entire spectrum of argument. No, and by the way, sense. I think that's a valid argument. I think yeah. li libertarians, you say, not only do I think pot should be legal, but I think someone should be able to shoot heroin in their house if they want to. I think it's very hard to argue against that constitutionally. Right. Mm -hmm. and it's yeah. a compelling argument. And But the difference becomes when, for example, it, you have a different heartbeat. Right. Yeah. yeah you're hurting somebody someone else. else in there, and where you draw a line again under the libertarian philosophy, you would draw a line where you're hurting someone else, right. and, and those types of things. Yeah. And and that's where you you even on the question of what you have a right to privacy for, your right to privacy doesn't extend to what you can do to other no, people. No, it's a really right. really loose not tied there. And yeah. even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's likely dead, uh, admitted <laughs> Who knows? that Roe v. Wade is a byproduct of, quote, heavy judicial <laughs> interventionism. That's what she said, okay? So I want to make sure the people Her understand. Her own words. Yes. <laughs>
There is such a thing as right and wrong, and abortion and assisted suicide are the wrong things to do. That is so basic, it is beyond arguing. This point alone will sink you, end quote. Ontario's three major political parties support something quite different from freedom of choice in abortion. They support free abortions on demand, thus forcing people, like this writer, to fund the very practice that the writer abhors. And this policy, with which we disagree, certainly has not sunk those parties politically. Freedom Party's policy on abortion would certainly never force anyone to fund abortion. Freedom Party's philosophy is not based on relativism, but upon an objective code of values that defines each individual's right to his or her own life. Rather than prohibit abortion, we prefer to encourage social conditions which would make the perceived necessity of abortion obsolete. Sexual abstinence, better contraception methods, and adoption would certainly be preferable to abortion. But it's not the legitimate right of any political party or government in a free society to force some people's preferences on others. Freedom Party, unlike the major parties, does not encourage abortion through government subsidy. We discourage it, but without a policy of prohibition. Because the rest is up to individuals. Now, of course, morality means different things to different people. The greatest divide, I suppose, is that between people who believe that morality is not possible without a belief in the existence of God as a deity, and those who believe that morality is a rational process. Of course, there's a third group that doesn't believe that morality matters at all. And Ann Coulter, in her 2010 discussion with Robert Vaughn and myself, referred to that group as the godless left. Anna, you speak a lot about uh, the godless left. Yeah. What do you actually mean by that? Because, you know, there is a godless right, if, you, if you're taking that literally in the sense of beliefs and deities. Yeah. And, and yet I read in your, in your book, Godless, um, you write, uh, and I thought this was kind of funny, we are in God's image and, and, we're the only, and we're the only ones in God's image, which is why we eat escargot rather than worship them. <laughs> But here's, but, but here's the statement, uh, quote, Whatever your religious persuasion, if you believe we are distinct from the beasts, you're with God. Now, I believe that, that we're distinct from the beasts, but I don't know that my belief in that is not based on any sort of system of deities. I also support individual rights. I support most of the concepts. I, I, I support the idea, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. But I, for me, those are rational things to believe in. I don't really have to believe in a deity for that. Is, is there some disconnect here as far as how you and I might look at that? Um, I would say... That you are either being influenced by the tradition um, of a religious belief and um, grafting on the results of that, or that I'm going to get you in the end and you will be a God believer, because if, if we're not in God's image, I've got to say the PETA people have a point. But if we have no souls, then, then why can't you kill a person the way you can kill um, a porpoise. I mean, why can't you enslave a person the way you can put a porpoise at, at SeaWorld? I mean, I just think most people don't think through to the logic they are either secretly believing in without acknowledging it, um, that there is a higher being and we're in his image, 
or uh, you're grafting on to the results of that belief because that is part of the that is part of the Western tradition. That's well, actually fascinating, Anne, because um, of course everybody here is, is, is grown up in a Judeo-Christian sort of ethic. Right. However, what we, what I would, and perhaps Bob as well, would distinguish man from the animals is our rationality. We are the rational animal in that sense. And that's how I would arrive at those conclusions that you were just talking about, Anne. Um, I would arrive at the conclusion that I do not kill my fellow man because it's an irrational thing to do. And the, the, even the concept of individual rights is a very rational thing. Sure, if we wanted to be like quote, the animals, and live very primitively and devour each other, you know, quote, the law of the jungle, which is always falsely stamped on the capitalist system, when in fact it's the socialist system that's the law of the jungle. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but, see, even there we agree on those issues, and yet I've come to these beliefs not because of a, of a belief in any deity, but because of a belief that reality is my arbiter. That determines whether something is functional or not. Life is the determinant of value. And reason is the method by which to combine all those things. Well, I do that think some get you both in the end. Um, but <laughs> I can just point out, look, there's some gorillas that have um, more rationality than some humans. And I'm pretty sure the two of you would say you cannot treat a very, very retarded human being. You would treat a human being differently even than a gorilla that, that is, you know, the, the top of the gorilla, gorilla class, always, top SAT scores. Um, it, it's not just rationality. There is more to it than that, whether you recognize it or not. Well, if we were sort of stranded on a desert island with a gorilla and there was no food left, the gorilla would, <laughs> would <laughs> go. go. <laughs> would have to go. <laughs> yeah, and the gorilla would go before the retarded human. Yes. So it's more than rationality. <laughs> you sense it deep in your souls whether or not you will acknowledge it. Well, we're the same species. I think that there's an affinity towards uh, people who are uh, alike, or species who are alike, maybe, if you want to put it that way. I think I would, um, I would suggest that we eat Michael Moore first. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd have to agree with you. Well, <laughs> Even over the ant. I don't know how... I, meat. I think that would leave a bad taste in my mouth one way or the other. Uh, no, gorillas are not rational, as Anne suggested. They may be very intelligent, but rational is a stretch beyond the capability of animals. As Ayn Rand explained in her Objectivist Ethics, quote, Rationality is man's basic virtue, the source of all his other virtues. To the extent to which a man is rational, life is the premise directing his actions. To the extent to which he is irrational, the premise directing his actions is death. A rational process is a moral process. End quote. Here again is Dave Morrison of Blue Collar Logic. Let's back up a little. There is no one thing more important to women than children. Of course some women will opt not to have kids or will have no particular talent for raising kids. But let's be real here. A woman only is a woman because of her ability to make a baby. And because a human baby is born completely dependent and vulnerable, a woman needs the help of a strong, focused man, not only to impregnate her, but to protect and support her once the baby arrives. If she plays her cards right and selects the right sort of partner, she will spend her life inside a small, sturdy unit called a family and will need very little assistance from a mega government headquartered in a distant political city. She will not be anybody's automatic vote. For countless generations, Western civilization has depended for its stability on strong families. 
The postmodernists now controlling the Democratic Party know this, and they don't like it one bit. They believe Western civilization is a bad thing. This really sounds kind of crazy, honey, but I feel like we're sort of celebrating. I know exactly what you mean, sweetheart. I mean, isn't it such a big relief to realize that no matter what happens to us, our children will always be taken care of. Yeah, gee, do you know how lucky we are to have Sid and Margie for friends? Oh, boy. I mean, they're just perfect to take our place if anything should ever happen, which, yeah. of course, it won't. Hey! hey. Hi, there you are. Hi, Hi, Dave. What do you say, buddy? How are you? Hey, listen, 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 listen. Before you say anything, I want you to know how absolutely honored we were. I mean, when you called us about being guardians of the children. Oh, I tell you, I was so thrilled that I just sat myself right down and I had a drink to celebrate. One drink. <laughs> waka waka. Hey, it must have been a pretty rough decision, huh, pal? No, it wasn't difficult at all. No, we just, we made a list of all of our close friends and nobody even came close. And you two are practically like family. And uh, it's obvious how you love those children. Oh, oh there is no question about that. Not, there's not one single question about that, is oh, there? Oh, no. No, I mean, uh, it's just such a thrill for me to even think of the prospect of someday being the mother to your adorable little Joni. It's Julie. Julie! Julie! <laughs> hey, listen, I, I, I gotta tell you that I was absolutely overwhelmed. I mean, you know, that you'd think about me to be the father of your little, uh, what's the kid's name again? His name is Joey. Joey, right. Oh, yeah, Joey, Joey. You have to forgive my poor darling Sid. He is just terrible <laughs> when mm. it comes to remembering names and dates and numbers. And they, Just last night, I think it was just last night, wasn't it, sweetheart? Mm. He was working late and he forgot his own home phone number. I did not forget my own. Yes, I did not. Did. I did not. Just yes. that every time I called, the line was busy, as oh. usual. <laughs> when our mother had her at the hospital, the doctor had to cut the telephone cord. Uh, say, did you uh, two happen to see that terrific TV uh, documentary on, uh, or documentary, some people say, on TV last night? <laughs> I mean, the one, you know, where they gave you all the crazy reasons why couples get a divorce. Oh, I sure did. And we didn't have the TV set on. <laughs> did they happen to mention anything about husbands who come home late at night smelling like Avon ladies? <laughs> Well, why don't we have a drink, huh? Well, I don't think she's had a wacko be under the Would table. Do folks care to order now? I'd like a white wine and soda, please. Uh, me too. All right, make it three of the same, will you? Mm -hmm. Double vodka martini, straight up. <laughs> I am having wine. Well, bully! <laughs> Maybe the reason you're having wine now is because you had two double scotches before you left the house tonight, huh? Oh, good, huh? good, good, good. Huh? I'm glad you reminded me. Good. Waiter, make that a triple scotch. Make mine a triple scotch. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. boy. Howdy. I like this. Thank you. I'll, I'll take that. Well, I am so thirsty tonight. Why don't we just attach a hose to the bar and run it through your mouth? <laughs> Hey, listen, why don't, we, uh, why don't we talk some more about our kids? I mean, uh, I mean your kids. Well, uh, I, uh, well... Uh, you know, it's going to be real fun for me, I tell you. You know, we don't have any children of our own, so... I was just thinking, uh, be real nice to enroll them in the prep school that I went to, you know? 
<laughs> That'd be great, you know, Just whip the kid in line there. Sure. You went through? I wouldn't let any kid of mine go to a prep school. They don't turn out anything but snobs. <laughs> My son is going to go to a regular, normal public high school like I did. Sure, look at the edu education she got. She learned how to say, I got a headache in four languages. <laughs> the reason I have headaches is because I'm trying to figure out why I ever married you. If you excuse me, I think I'd like to powder my nose. Honey? honey? Yeah, me too. <laughs> Sweetheart, you are brilliant. I love you. Oh. you know, I think it worked. I do not think we are I going to be so. in their will. Oh, can you imagine getting stuck with those two brats? <laughs> oh. <clears throat> Listen, we actually just went over there to have a little talk. Yeah. yeah, you know about your being the guardians of our kids? Yeah, yeah we discussed the whole thing thoroughly. You know, the way you two argue all the time. The yeah. way you hate his mother and the way you hate her family? It's okay, Dave, uh, you don't have to say another word. We understand. Yeah. It's amazing. Listening to you is like listening to a tape recording of ourselves. What do you mean? Well, of all our friends, you're the only two we know of who would really make Julie and Joey feel right at home. <laughs> Obviously not everybody wants to have children, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are people who do want to have children and can't for various medical or physical reasons. As an alternative to abortion, wouldn't it be preferable to get these two groups to connect? And as we discussed way back in 2008 on this show, this could take the form of anything from adoption to, believe it or not, transplanting the unwanted fetuses of the former into the wombs of the latter in a form of pre-birth adoption, as was suggested by Karen Selleck in her National Post editorial at the time. And I have to tell you, science and medical advances will have effects and consequences on this issue in ways most people cannot even imagine today. Now, Canada has had no abortion laws for some 31 years now. When U.S. Vice President Mike Pence visited Canada last week, Prime Minister Trudeau made a point of raising the abortion issue with him by expressing his concern over women's access to abortion in certain U.S. states, which many observers thought was inappropriate, given that the purpose of Pence's visit was to promote the new trade deal between the two countries. Now, Ayn Rand declared that abortion is a moral right, though stressed that this right concerns only the first three months of pregnancy. An embryo has no rights, she declared. Quote, rights do not pertain to a potential, only to an actual being, end quote. Although I could argue that as an embryo, it is an actual being. And I have to say I never did find Rand's views on abortion as being entirely consistent with her own epistemology. Quote, never mind the vicious nonsense of claiming that an embryo has a right to life. A piece of protoplasm has no rights and is not life in the human sense of the term. One may argue about the later stages of a pregnancy, she argued, <laughs> which seems a bit contradictory to suggest that a fetus, rather than an embryo, may have rights even though it's still a potential undependent on the mother. Quote, the question of abortion involves much more than the termination of a pregnancy. It is a question of the entire life of the parents, Rand argued. The task of raising a child is a tremendous lifelong responsibility, which no one should undertake unwittingly or unwillingly. The situation of an abandoned and unwed mother is even worse, end quote. And I can agree with that. But of course, all of this assumes that there are no other options or avenues of recourse available. 
So even though I've often spoken out in the past of my opposition to the practice of abortion, I've never been able to bring myself to the point of advocating its outright prohibition. My major issues have been generally with informed consent. And then, of course, there's the taxpayer-funded abortions. Now, personally, I would like to see a world where abortion would no longer be necessary. And, you know, there are other considerations and other issues involved, like what are the appropriate penalties under prohibition, for example? We already touched on this issue in our conversation with Ann Coulter. And would a pregnant woman's unsuccessful suicide attempt also be considered an attempt at murder? Would a successful suicide be registered as a murder as well? And if others are in a position of making decisions with regard to a woman's pregnancy, then can she also smoke? Can she do drugs? whether illegal or prescription? Can she drink alcohol? Can she eat junk food or participate in athletics? Might she be forced to give up her career all in the interests of maintaining the life of this unborn child? Now the only question regarding abortion laws is who gets to decide, not really what the decision is. And that comes down to two things. Is it the woman whose mind and body are at issue or someone else? And is that someone else willing to assume responsibility for any actions forced upon the mother? And even worse, on the other side of the coin, in some countries where governments assume jurisdiction over the bodies of their citizens, abortions are forced upon women as a method of cultural and birth control. We saw this situation in China. So finally, let's clear up a few definitions regarding the whole right to life issue life is the period of an individual's existence between birth and death. Now Ayn Rand defined life as a process of self-sustaining and self-generated action. And of course the sacredness of life stems from the recognition that life is the source of all value and is an end in and of itself. And as to the value of life itself, I believe that many people have demonstrated that freedom often has a greater value than life, and it is to that very hierarchy of values that we recall each and every Remembrance Day, among others. Now, when we talk about rights, we're always talking about a right to action. Now, the unborn and even the newly born are not capable of either exercising nor comprehending any rights that we may ascribe to them. Individual rights do not even begin or accrue until one first becomes an individual, which is at birth, and is no longer dependent upon a host for subsistence. Rights are also inextricably entwined with responsibility, which no fetus or even born child is capable of exercising. And until human beings reach the age of majority, or what we call the age of consent, they have no rights whatever in the general meaning of the term. What they have is a status within society. Now the word fetus comes from the Latin fetus, F-O-E-T-U-S, and it refers to one, the unborn young of an animal while still in the uterus or egg, especially in its later stages. In humans, the offspring in the womb from the end of the third month of pregnancy until birth, as distinguished from the embryo, an early or undeveloped stage. Now, I won't pretend that all of these considerations have solved the abortion debate in some way. But I do believe that the more people know and understand about the whole issue, the more informed they will be if faced with a decision to abort or not, or to have a child or not. They'll at least be in a position of informed consent. And isn't that really the best step 
that we could take in the right direction. And speaking of the right direction, before we leave you for this week, I have an important announcement to make regarding our show. Believe it or not, we're actually going to take a few weeks off for some downtime and upgrade time. But we'll return with all new episodes in July when our regular scheduled weekly programs will resume. And for those of you listening on shortwave, we'll be featuring some encore presentations for your listening enjoyment over the next few weeks. So be sure to join us again in July when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, check out some of our many archived shows online that you may have missed. And as always, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. <laughs> Not a very political person. People think I'm very political because I bought a used car and it already had bumper stickers on it. I'm not political, it's just really hard to take off a bumper sticker. You know what I mean? You gotta scrape and peel. I'm like, fuck it, I'm against abortion. <laughs>